0: Welcome to the Church is Changing podcast. My name is Beth Estock, and I'm one of the hosts for this podcast. And today, I'm interviewing Tracy Hume, who comes to us all the way from Newcastle, England. Tracy, you are our first interview on the Church is Changing podcast. How about that?
1: What a privilege! Or a responsibility, not sure which.
0: (laughs) Well, let's just say that um, I think that you have a lot to offer when it comes to thinking about the changing church. And that's why I chose you for our first episode, because as a church leader in the United Kingdom, you have read the tea leaves (laughs) and you've listened to God's call for you in post-Christendom pandemic Times that we're in and as I have watched you in a matter of just two years your work has shifted in life-giving and dramatic ways and so just like those early Apostles on their missionary journeys who reported back to the Jerusalem Church about what they were experiencing and learning I'm hoping today that you're going to be reporting back to the church in the UK as well as the United States and probably uh, Canada as well to what you are learning on the edge of what I would call the institutional church decline and this spirit movement that is springing forth all around us.
1: That sounds good.
0: Great. So first of all, just tell us a little bit about you, where you live, the kind of work you do.
1: So, I'm a deacon in the Methodist Church in Britain, and I'm currently working as the community engagement enabler, it's a bit of a mouthful, in the northeast of England. Um, I get to support and resource local churches and circuits who want to engage more with their communities and the challenges faced by their communities. Being in a deacon in the UK means I'm also a member of the Methodist Diaconal Order, uh, which is a dispersed religious order. And although my work includes like supporting um, churches and circuits, more of my current work is kind of in three areas. So um, I work with a colleague, um, Elaine Lindridge, in introducing and developing uh, Pioneer and Fresh Expressions work across our district. I also co-facilitate something called the Poverty Truth Commission, which listens to the voices of people with lived experience of poverty and brings them together with civic and business leaders to work towards change. And finally, by accident, really, I suppose, in March 2020, I established an online faith community for people in recovery from or struggling with addiction. So quite varied work, I guess.
0: And Tracy, just um, remind me, before the pandemic, were the first two things that you do on your job description or has, has everything kind of shifted?
1: In some respects, all of the, well, the the Recovery Church stuff wasn't on there, but all the other stuff was there. But it was one of five areas of my work. And the pioneering work that I'm doing with Elaine was kind of just about to start coming around. But we weren't sure what it was going to look like. And COVID has definitely changed what that looks like. Um, And the Poverished Truth Commission work has just kind of blossomed into something more than we ever expected. So it's taking over a lot more of my time than it was going to do.
0: And what did you have on your plate before the pandemic that has moved off?
1: Well, I'd only been in the role six months before COVID hit, so I was only just working out what I was going to do. But actually, a lot of the work of getting alongside some of our circuits and local churches and trying to work out what they need and going through their mission plans, that kind of thing, actually, in a way, that's taken... A back seat a little bit because things have overtaken us, and those things now are almost determined by other factors. Um, so that kind of stuff's gone on the, on the on the side, and actually writing resources for churches because things are moving in such a quick pace that what I would have written two years ago just now would not be appropriate.
0: Wow. So tell us about that movement, Tracy, what that strong pace has looked like for you and um, how you see that not only your work is changing, but the church is changing. What is dying and what is coming on board?
1: So it's quite an interesting question and a very real one for us at the moment in the UK the institutional church in the UK has been on a downward trajectory of attendance for kind of many a year, um, but it's accelerated in more recent years, and COVID has probably accelerated it even more. And so, in many places where there was, they were maybe teetering on the edge. What COVID has done has maybe deaths of stalwart members of the congregation, lower returning numbers after lockdown finances being greatly affected by a lack of lettings and that kind of thing. And so churches were just about surviving and now having to make that difficult decision to close or even become a class of another church. Many of those churches have maybe just been really faithful in what they've done for years. They've kept a presence in a community, but often that's not necessarily been from a place of intentional mission. Mm -hmm. So... Um, how Church Gathers has seen a lot of change probably over the last two years, um, as I'm sure it has in, in the States and in, in around the world really. But as soon as our first lockdown hit, our local churches and circuits had to find new ways of continuing to minister and worship and pastor in ways that were just not physical gatherings and they weren't used to doing that. So some went online, some went on Facebook or Facebook Live, some went on Zoom, some sent mailings out in this sort of more snail mail way that kind of thing anything they could do using telephone for pastoral stuff but since the restrictions have eased some of those churches have maybe tried live streaming or hybrid services so that people can gather online or in person that kind of thing And some have continued their online activities that we're doing during lockdown, like Bible studies. But the problem that we face is that much of this relies on like technical skills and only a few people can do that Mm -hmm. at the moment. So it's not always sustainable for our ministers or our lay leaders to be doing that, all that techie stuff and trying to do face-to-face worship, which people want to still come back to. So that change has already happened. And for our district in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, The interesting change that we saw that was before COVID was with our Pioneer Hub. So um, the Pioneer Hub is a place where those who are engaged in pioneering and fresh expressions, church planting, could come together for encouragement and support and training, that kind of stuff. And that happened quarterly before COVID. And then during lockdown, this went to monthly because we saw growth in pioneering and pioneers and lots of new small experiments started as people tried to find ways to engage with um, people in different ways. So the growth has been in the new and most of those have been really small communities or small projects. During COVID, one circuit opened a shop they decided that they wanted a place for people who were lonely or struggling with mental health, all that kind of thing, places to, to drop in. Um, another was a, a ministerial family from Brazil, moved into a, a, a kind of a quite neglected community in Gateshead and moved into the neighbourhood really and just started listening to what, what was going on um, to try and set up maybe a new faith community. So it was a new way of doing things for us. But I think one of the big changes going forward is that we're just going to see lots of new communities springing up rather than aiming for these large centres. That seems to mean a shift. And small is beautiful is maybe mm-hmm. going to be the watchword, I think. So do you think that um, because
0: of the institutional decline and, and the pandemic kind of um, hurrying that along, that that has opened up? this new way of of, of engaging and experimentation?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think some of those things were kind of going on before, but they were smaller mm-hmm. and maybe not as obvious. And we didn't take as much notice because we were so busy doing our old ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely been something about noticing and doing something. But we're fortunate we're in a district where our chair and others are so permission-giving and go, let's just go where that Holy Spirit's taken us. And if these small things are bubbling up, let's let them go. Let's try and see what happens with them and give them some time and some resources um, to see what God's doing and how we might join in with those, I guess. Well, Tracy, that's a
0: great segue to my next question about where you have experienced that death and resurrection in your own work.
1: It's, um, I guess for me, there's maybe been a couple of things that we've been doing. Um, so with my uh, colleague Elaine, we support local churches, although we certainly were before um, for, before lockdown and, and COVID. And one of the things we were doing before lockdown was helping them with um, what we call their end of life or growth plans. These were like intentional mm. plans for local churches to uh, either make the decision to die well or to plan for growth. And many churches were really struggling with that before lockdown. Post lockdown, we're seeing many of more of our churches not even being able to have the time to die well. That decision's kind of been taken away from them, that the circumstances, their finances, that kind of thing, has just meant that the death is a lot more immediate. And that's it's sad for those people who are involved, but it's kind of maybe that pushing over the edge um stuff and actually in our area there is maybe up to a third of our local churches are maybe at risk of closure over the next few years either because of covid or because of finances or all sorts of changes that are going on we've got what the size of a church should be is changing so that's a huge number so that's a lot of potential death going on yes it is it's huge. And that's happening with our ecumenical partners as well. It's not just the Methodist Church. But for me, there are just so many signs of new life kind of just mm-hmm. beginning to bubble under the surface. And it's like I'm, I'm reminded of the seasons and how in the autumn um, the leaves fall from the trees because death is very real in that moment. But that that covering of leaves provides warmth and kind of compost, if you like, really, for mm-hmm. these new things to just begin to come up out of them, that because of that death, new stuff can happen. And that sort of feels like what's happening. So in my work with uh, Recovery Church, that's been really, really real. So the moment the first lockdown hit, all of the anonymous fellowships um, in our area and around the country all had to stop because Obviously, they couldn't meet in their centres anymore. They couldn't meet in church buildings, all that kind of thing. And there was a real concern for me that all those people who just relied on that day-to-day, sometimes daily meetings that they needed to go to for their recovery were just going to stop. And um, so I just joined a a local Facebook group for recovery groups. I attend a 12-step group. I thought, well, I'll just go on there and I'll just say, look. I'm a Methodist minister. I happen to also be in a 12-step meeting. So how about if I just offer to do a short reflection once a week with a couple of 12-step prayers, 20 minutes, and see how we go. And if anybody finds that helpful, let's do that. And amazingly, people said, yes, please, let's have that. So out of this kind of sense of nothing and things that were really kind of quite dire, this little thing just popped its head Mm. up and I just thought, oh, I'll give that a go. We'll just do that for lockdown. Three months, max, fine. Bish, bash, bosh, sorted. (laughs) Um, And then it kind of got towards the end of that and they started saying, well, we don't want this to finish. We want this to Mm. carry on. So um, something that was going to be this temporary kind of almost accidental thing just started to develop into something new. And it's kind of been based on their needs, what they've needed. We've tweaked it quite a lot. It now looks very different to how it did a year ago. And if I had just sat down with a piece of paper two years ago and designed something like this, it would not look like it does. So, you know, the Holy Spirit has much better ideas than I do. Um, thank goodness. But it's like addiction can be seen as such a negative and a dark place and it really is. It can be. It's a reality. But out of that has come this incredible recovery and transformation for so many of them, stories of forgiveness and grace. And it was so wonderful last summer to be able to baptize one of our community, to show that sort of story. Somebody who'd been addicted to heroin and cocaine for 40 odd years wow, just had this transformation in their life. And coming to Recovery Church and going to their 12-step meetings has brought about that whole transformation and their life has turned around. And they just wanted to show what had happened. And for me, it was just like, wow, what's, you know, what's God doing? This was like an accident. This isn't meant to happen. And then just this beautiful thing has kind of come out of something really quite dark and COVID's been so dark. So now, The really exciting thing is that this accidental thing, we're about to plant another recovery church face to face in the local cathedral with the Church of England because there's so many addicts coming through the cathedral and needing this kind of work. And people going, actually, do you know what? I think this might just be the right thing for us. And there are a couple of other places around the country that just go in, whoa, hang on a minute, there might just be something in this. So it's been like something so strange and not what we expect at all, but at this time of death and dying off that this new thing has popped up um, and the Holy Spirit just taking us on this uh, new kind of journey. Um, and I never would have expected that in my own journey from kind of finding myself in the 12-step rooms to leading something like this. I was like...
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. You know, this tiny thing. And it was a tiny idea. And now it's just flourished into this beautiful ministry. Tell us a little bit about some of the oddness of it starting online. And in particular, I'm curious about the baptism. How did you do that? And now this movement from online to in person, which is just the opposite of kind of how we think of things.
1: Yeah. I mean, it went on Zoom just because that was the best thing that was available at the time. And it's enabled people from all over the UK to join us. So whereas a physical church, people have to live within a certain distance to be able to go because otherwise Mm -hmm. it's impractical. This has just meant that One addict's been able to tell another addict about where they've been able to find help. And they've maybe met them on a Zoom meeting, you know, in, I don't know, Aberdeen or something. Do you know what I mean? So we've got people from the South Coast and from Ireland and all over the place. And it's just beautiful. And it's been a place where there's been inequality. So because on Zoom there's something about everybody's pictures the same size, that is a different experience, that when we're in church, people are stood at the front. It looks different. Somebody's at the front, they look like they're in charge, and then you've got the everybody else sitting in the pew, usually at the back. So mm-hmm. this means everybody's got that same space, and it's something equal and val- of equal value, which I've just loved. So when we were asked to look at, well, could we maybe plant um, a recovery church in the cathedral, It was, like you said, it was the opposite problem to what we've normally had. So at lockdown, all the churches were thinking, how do we take something that's always physical and Mm face-to-face, how do we put that on an online space? What does that look like? And for me, I'm going, well, actually, this has only existed in the online space. So how do we make that look physical? So it's kind of, "What does the room going to look like? How do we gather in a way that that equality of the space, where everybody is equal, is able to be, the same or replicated in a physical space? How do we ensure that everybody feels that they are welcome and valued um, and then can contribute in those ways that they can do on Zoom? So it's, it's a real kind of conundrum, really. And I've got another meeting tomorrow. We're just going to go and look at the space and think, how the heck are we going to do this? But I'm sure God's gone before us and I'm sure there'll be something there. But it is just a problem I never thought I'd have really weird yeah and talk a little bit
0: about how you see that like when you were on your, your online recovery church and your role as a leader and how you see that role shifting when it, when it began in that online format and what that helped you to discover about leadership
1: yeah it's been it's been a gift I have to say of of learning so I've only ever Led more to, tra- well, I've, I've predominantly been a minister in traditional contexts. I did have a fresh expression, but I was still somebody who had to stand at the front. It was this sense of being expert led. Somebody at the front knows more than everybody else and they're going to pass on that information to you all, or they're going to, um, you might get the odd other person come up, but they've been given a role to do and it's, you know, with Recovery Church, it started as me kind of beginning to lead something through. But very quickly, I just sense that with the anonymous fellowships, there is something, when people go to an anonymous fellowship, I'm really struggling to even say it. It's one of those words, isn't it? It gets caught in your tongue. But when you <laughs> attend an anonymous fellowship meeting, you might have somebody who sits in the chair that week and just leads it through. But that can be done by anybody in that meeting. And I thought, well, what would that look like in church? What would it look like if... I didn't stay at the front all the time or the equivalent to the front. I didn't lead everything every week. Part of the um, recovery program is that service is an essential tool to recovery. So being able to give to other people and share your experiences and help one another is absolutely essential. Well, when we're in our sort of this traditional churches or our traditional church model, We don't allow that to happen. We select just one or two people to be leaders and give them huge responsibility. And just everybody else tends to get to sit and be quite passive, actually. Mm -hmm. So we kind of decided we would um, use a lot more of the 12-step principles. On every time there's a fifth Sunday, we have what we call a group conscience. And that's the equivalent of a church council. But that's how anonymous fellowship meetings work. Everybody gets to say. So it's not just a select few people who are on the church council. This is everybody is in the the group conscience. Everybody gets to say about what they think works, what they'd like to try, what their suggestions are. And we just started mentoring people to host it. So I've always been somebody who... Really struggled with set liturgy. Okay, I've always been well. I like a little bit of free and easy going on, but actually, with the anonymous fellowships, they have a script, and anybody can pick that script up and lead the session. So again, we thought, well, what would that look like if we were to do something like that? So we started tweaking week after week. We're just tweaking this script, if you like, so that it said what we needed it to say, and anybody could pick it up. So our hosts equivalent to our worship leaders, take that and they lead us through on the journey of the service. And it is the same model every week. But people have comfort in that familiarity because they know what's coming. They know every week they're going to be able to share the good stuff, the bad stuff. They're going to be able to learn together, that kind of thing. So once we'd sort of got hosts going, we then thought, well, how else do we give people responsibility? So we now expect... Every single person who comes to our meetings, if it's maybe their first or second week, we won't push them to do anything. But after that, you're on a rotor. But you're on the rotor for candle lighting. That's our minimum requirement. So when we have our prayers of intercession, somebody grabs a candle from their room, lights it in front of everybody else on Zoom and holds it and reads the prayer out. So that's the minimum requirement. So anybody can do that, whether they're in active um, addiction still or in recovery they feel that they are included, they're valued and they're bringing something. Some people just um, help us to read stuff. So we read things out loud and they'll offer to do that. We have a few people now that we've mentored to be able to do a little Bible reflection for the others. But every element of our service allows for people to contribute. So whereas in our traditional church models... You sit there quite passively, and services are often done to you in many ways. They're done for you, but they're done to you. So somebody prays a prayer of confession to you, having no idea what's gone on in your week, what you know, what you might need to confess. So most people maybe their brains thinking, Well, have I got to go and get the you know, the Sunday lunch? Oh, I haven't turned the oven off. You know, your mind goes because it's not personal. When we're reading the Bible together, when we're reading our book together, when we're doing all those things, everybody gets to have a say. Everybody gets to offer prayers. Everybody gets to say whether their week has been rubbish or whether it's been tough. We pop party poppers so that we celebrate together when there's been these wins. So there is no chance to just sit there and be passive You know, you are part of a community and what you offer is really, really important. And that has radically changed how I view ministry. So I actually struggle now. If I go to some of our more established churches in the district and go and preach, I feel there's something missing really feel something's missing. And I get how how can I change something about this worship that it becomes more meaningful and that people are valued because of what they bring and their brokenness and it's there isn't something about you have to be perfect to stand at the front. So I share as much as my vulnerability and my tough weeks as they do because I'm not there to say that I am different to you. I need to say I am with you on this journey. I need that grace and forgiveness. I, you know, it's that kind of thing. So it's really changed how I see ministry. It's been a gift.
0: So, what I'm hearing from you is that the concept of leader is more about creating the safe space and yeah. the container, if you will. So, how I like to say it, so people's souls can come out and play.
1: Absolutely. I was going to say, as a minister, that's what my role is to some extent. So now I don't lead very many weeks. I hold the container of the safeguarding, any policies and stuff that needs to be in place. I thought all the rotors behind the scenes, that kind of thing. But it's all that stuff that means that if anybody turns up, it is a safe place, like you say, to play, to share, to be, to contribute. That's kind of my role rather than it being something that people see it's a more behind the scenes. This is that little safe container. And I love that phrase you use, and I use it quite a lot now. That's what we're about. That's my role. And that's where the accountability and I kind of hold that story um, and that legacy, if you like, of the church and carry it on.
0: I think it's really beautiful, Tracy, that you discovered this through this online experiment and that it is pointing to a new way of being a leader and a new way of configuring community uh, faith formation and development. So we're running out of time today, Tracy. This has been a great conversation. Um, There's so much more I could ask you, and I might invite you on again. Um, Where can folks find out more about your ministry?
1: So I can provide my uh, email address and that kind of thing. Um, We uh, don't even have a website for our recovery church because we have to be so careful with our anonymity of the folks involved. But I'm more than happy if people want to um, email me. um, That would be great. I would love to hear other people's stories and experiences.
0: Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, for the podcast. So the final thing I would like to ask you is if you would send us out on a blessing, um, a blessing uh, for people that are in the midst of trying to meet those deep needs of people in their own communities and discerning what is that way forward for them.
1: That would be a privilege. Thank you. And I've talked a lot about the Recovery Church community, so I thought it'd be really appropriate to use a slightly adapted prayer that's from a 12-step prayer book um, that just seemed really
0: appropriate.
1: Wonderful. Father of light, you have promised to give wisdom generously. To all who ask in faith, please give us your wisdom Make us wise to know your way for us, wise to make good decisions, wise to be useful to others and wise to understand your word. May your spirit give us wisdom that we may know your will, that we may honour you and may find pleasure in following your Holy Spirit into new places with new people. Amen.
0: Amen. Church is Changing Podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.